is government. Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever tried to answer that question? But I'd like to encourage you to think about that question. What is government? Now, we might think about it in a lot of ways. We might describe a type of government, but in essence, what is government? Or maybe we should put it in a different sense. Maybe we could say government is, and then fill in that blank. Government is, and how would you fill in that blank? Well, welcome to Faith Is, where we talk about faith and important spiritual things, and we're going to talk about that today and take a little different direction than we usually have. I want to talk about some things that are really impacting a lot of people these days, things that we need to know about and think about. And in many ways, instead of talking about faith in the abstract, we want to talk about faith in the concrete. What does it mean actually to put faith into practice, and how does that look? And I'm so glad you've joined us because we all are struggling with our confidence these days, our faith, and I want us to stop struggling. I want us to have confidence because remember, on this program, we say faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And I want you to think about that deeply and, and, and allow that to settle into your soul. Faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and I'm the pastor of Cape Coral Wesleyan Church. Well, I should say Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Uh, I have been here for a number of years and serve this congregation, and it's our privilege to bring this program to you from Cape Coral and help you think with us and stretch with us as we develop our confidence in God. It's an ongoing development. I don't think we ever arrive at it. We don't um, brag about our faith. We don't think we're better than anybody else in our faith. We're just pilgrims on the journey to follow the Lord and to have confidence in Him. And we recognize that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And so we pursue that together. And I'm really glad you could join us. I hope this is beneficial because it is going to be different today than what some of our other programs have been. And, and I have really well, I've been a real, little reluctant to talk about some of these kind of things, but then I realized I shouldn't be, because there are some intensely spiritual things that are going on in our world, and I'm not sure we hear about them, not sure we know about them, and so we need to think about some of those kinds of things. So let's circle back to that question I asked at the very beginning, what is government? Or if you want to fill in a blank, I suggested you could say government is, and then you fill in that blank. Have you come up with the answer to that? or an answer. I'm not pretending my answer that I'm going to suggest is the answer, but it is a way to understand government, and it is a way to understand what's going on in our world today. And I want to help us because we need to be able to have perspective on the events of the world around us. And as I record this today, things are happening. Things are happening in Ukraine. I don't know where it's going to turn out. Things have happened in Canada in the last week that are very important for us to understand. The world is, is in a certain kind of turmoil we haven't seen for a very long time. And there are some risky things taking place and, and no one really knows how it's gonna turn out. I don't know how it's gonna be by the time you're listening to this, but I do know this, that no matter how it is, no matter how it's gonna turn out anytime in the future, we can have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God 
and we don't need to be afraid. We need to trust him. He, as I sometimes say it, I guess people kind of look at me funny. He has our backs. When we are his people, he has our backs. It doesn't mean that unpleasantness will be taken away. It doesn't mean we escape life's realities, not at all. But it means exactly what the Bible promises, that he will be with us. He will not forsake us. He will have our backs. We were having a discussion last night, and, and the subject came up that Jesus said something very intriguing on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we talked about the implications of that a little bit. But you know what we need to remind ourselves when we face troubled times like this is that while it was true, God forsake Jesus because he willingly died as a sacrifice for sin. And while God had to let that happen, God has promised us we are his people and he will not leave us. He will not forsake us. No matter if the worst happens, we can have absolute confidence in his trustworthiness. And that's what I want us to focus on and to reinforce today as we think about some of the world events that are going on. So let's talk about the answer and, and the answer that I'm suggesting and, and teasing a little bit. What is government or government is? I heard this a while ago. I don't remember where I heard this. At first, it stunned me and I didn't really want to accept it. You know how some of these ideas are. But the more I've thought about it, the more I've found real benefit in thinking this way and real truth in the reality. But someone said, very simply, government is power. Government is power. And that really got my attention because I had not thought of government in those terms. I'd thought of it in terms of its necessary functions. I've thought of it sometimes in terms of the things it does that it shouldn't do, and some of the things that it should do that it doesn't do. We've all had our opinions, our perspectives on government policy for one thing or another. But when you cut through all of it and you begin to think about it in this way, that government is power, that really helps us have a perspective that's helpful when we think about what's going on in the world today. And so we want to talk about that idea that government is power and remember that as we think about some of the things that we've observed going on in the world today. Now, I know that in many circles, when you bring up the subject of politics, people get very nervous and anxious and, oh, we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to hear about that. We don't want to think about that. And, and I understand that. I've been around some of the political environments here in Florida. And um, no, you don't want to be around that. I get that. It's not for everyone. And it's not for most of us. It is for some people. And we should all be glad that, that good people are willing to put themselves in that environment so that they can serve the people of their area and they can make good things happen. And so because of my involvement, because of my trying to help our church understand what this whole business of politics is about, and to explain to everybody that, that my involvement isn't about politics, and, and it hasn't been and it won't be, and, and so I've tried to explain this in a way to help people understand because it does relate to government and government is power. So how does my involvement in some of these things and uh, a little bit about my involvement, I've 
been to Tallahassee, our state capital. I've testified before Senate committees and House committees in support of legislation or against legislation to let them know where I stand and where some of the people that I represent in Florida stand on this. Some of you probably are aware, maybe, maybe no one's aware that I helped start an organization called the Florida Citizens Alliance. And we work to help make good things happen in education and to bring solutions to the problems in our schools. And so because of that, I have met and know personally a number of senators and members of the House of Representatives in Florida. And we work on things that we care about and we get their support. Sometimes they agree with us, sometimes they don't, but we work on that. But I say to people, when people say, well, you're involved in politics, I, I say, no, I'm not. And here's the distinction I make. Maybe this will help you because many times when people say, well, that's political, they say, that means it's off limits to them or it's off limits to the church. Or sometimes you'll hear uh, well-meaning people say, well, um, my kingdom's of a different world. I'm not going to get involved in that as though they're too good for it or something. I don't know what. But my answer to, to that is that Politics is not something that I'm interested in, except as an observer and except as I have to be involved to try to help children in our public schools in Florida. And I had to figure out a definition that helped explain this so that everybody could understand that. And so many years ago, I came up with this idea, and maybe this will help you. Politics is the pursuit of power. So when someone runs for office and we often have helped as part of my involvement, helped people get to know candidates and make good decisions about who they will vote for. And those men and women are running for an office. And when they are elected to that office, that gives them a certain amount of power. They then can make decisions about things. Nothing wrong with that. And we need good people who will do the right thing to be in positions to make those kinds of decisions. I remember hearing a, a, gentleman who held a very significant office in Florida, talk about the one thing he missed from being involved in that was he could not make decisions. He could not do things that would make good things happen because he no longer held that office. And that's an example of, of the power that's related to politics. And, and it's an illustration of what I said when I said government is power. Now, government is a lot of things. It's not just power, of course, but it is power. And when someone gets elected and, and participates in the election process and takes office of any kind, in, whether it's local or state or federal, they now have a certain amount of power to make decisions and to make good things happen, or depending upon their inclination, they could make bad things happen. And so they have power in politics, as I've tried to help people understand, is the pursuit of power. It's a legitimate pursuit. It's just not something that I want to be involved in. I've seen what goes on. I'm not interested in that. I've seen that the politics most people are aware of or are exposed to is just the tip of the iceberg. And again, I'm glad some people want to be involved in that. Really glad. I'm glad good people want to be involved in that. I'm glad I don't have to be involved in it. And I'm not going to be political and pursue political power. When we advocate, when we meet with a senator or a member of the Florida House, I don't go in there to make a deal with them. I don't go in there to offer them a check for their next campaign. I don't play the political game. I go in there and say, our children need this, and this is important. And I ask them to make the decision based on the principle involved, not on playing the political game. Now, people say, well, that makes you political because you're in the state capitol or you meet with somebody in their office in their district or something like that. 
Well, I said, <laughs> I said recently, and, and maybe this is an overstatement. I don't think it is, but to make the point, I said, you know, if, as a pastor, if I was invited to lead a Bible study at a biker bar, I would go lead that Bible study because I want to proclaim the truth of the gospel in any environment that I'm invited into. But I said to people, just because I would go there to represent the one who is and was and is to come, the one who is the savior of the world, just because I would go into that biker bar to lead a Bible study doesn't make me a biker. It doesn't make me a biker bar guy. Okay, I'm just there as a minister of the gospel in an environment that's a biker bar, but that's not who I am. When I go to these other environments that are political environments, my being there doesn't make me political. It just means I'm there in the midst of that environment trying to speak up a good word for the right things. And so if politics is the pursuit of power, I contrast that with citizenship. And I say citizenship is the pursuit of righteous government. And all of us are citizens of the country. All of us who are citizens have a responsibility to pursue righteous government. And we do that in a lot of ways. I've talked about advocating for, for legislation and asking them to do the right thing with that and supporting their ideas when they come up with good things. That's part of my citizenship responsibility because I want righteous things to happen. I want righteous people to be elected. And so that's my citizenship responsibility. Don't let anyone ever marginalize your involvement by calling it political. You can be a citizen and must be a citizen to speak up for the right things. And let me also say this, that if we who are the people of God refuse to speak up, if we refuse to be involved, if we refuse to participate, guess who will participate? Guess who will be involved? Guess who will have the opportunity to make the decisions and make things happen? And they might not be good things that happen. So yes, I think government is well understood as power. And yes, politics is the pursuit of power. And yes, citizenship is the pursuit of righteous government. We want government that does the right thing. The Bible talks about that. The Bible illustrates that in the stories of the Bible, and I'm sure you can find them and understand them. When righteous people are in charge, we see in the Bible good things happen. When unrighteous people are in, in charge, it is a devastating time for the people. So understanding that, let's think about what's been going on in our world and what's going on now through a little fresher perspective. Also, I, I should tell you that, and I want to talk about some of the things that happened in Canada recently. And, and in order to do that, I should tell you that I lived in Canada for six years, a couple of years in New Brunswick, that's a province in Eastern Canada, and about four years in Ontario. So I'm a little bit familiar with the country. It's been a lot of years ago that I lived there. So I'm not claiming to be an expert today. I'm not claiming to be an expert in any way. I wasn't then. But I have a little sense of what's going on in, in the way people approach things in Canada. And I have a lot of appreciation for Canadians. If you're a Canadian or if you know one listening, don't hear anything I say today as being disparaging of of Canada or Canadians. Not at all. I live there. I know something about the people. Some of the best people I've ever met live in Canada. 
I also heard something very interesting when I lived in Canada. I didn't really quite know what to do with it because I just didn't know what to do with it. But I heard on more than one occasion, Canadians talk about how their country was the freest country in the world. And I, that got my attention. Well, as an American, having grown up in the United States, I had always thought we were the freest country in the world. And so I, that really got my attention. Now, to be sure, I never, ever once argued the point with a Canadian. And, you know, I was I was a guest in their country and I had no reason to to question or doubt what they said. I, I wasn't quite sure about it, but I wasn't going to challenge that because I had no basis to challenge it. And it wouldn't have been at all right for me to do that. And one of the things that I also observed about Canadians as very much different than, than my experiences in this country, in the United States, was that, that they were really patient people. Uh, often people will, will describe Canadians as being laid back. Well, those are both good descriptions. That doesn't mean they didn't care about important things. Well, of course they did. But they were just a little bit less volatile than some of us. You know, we get to be flaming maniacs about things and we get fired up about this or fired up about that. And that's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that either. But the difference was was very obvious to me that the, the people that I knew in Canada were not nearly as as uh, prone to being excited about things. They tended to take things as they come and manage things. And, and they were fine with that. So one of the things I respected about them was they were, they were more patient than I tend to be. But because of that, I never expected, never expected to see, to witness, even from a long distance away, what we saw in Canada with the truckers protest. I never imagined that happening because I did not observe that kind of, uh, shall we say, behavior or tendency in, in the Canadian people that I met and was acquainted with. I, I just didn't see that at all. Now, to be sure, there were things that happened. There was a huge change in the tax system when I was there. The government implemented the goods and services tax, and I think it's still in place. I'm, I've lost track of some of that, but that was wildly unpopular. Oh, unpopular up and down and all around. People did not like that idea at all. And I understood why they didn't. And I understood the consequences of that. And, and uh, yet the government passed it and it went into effect, but nobody liked it. And they voted that government out at the first opportunity because they didn't like it at all. Whether it was good or bad, I guess history will tell us, but they didn't protest. They it in stride, they managed it, and then they voted the people that did it out because they really didn't like it. So when they when the truckers stood up in this way and and were willing to protest in their peaceful way, and and by all, all accounts that I'm familiar with, they were peaceful. I'm not saying there weren't some scoundrels involved. A lot of times scoundrels get involved where they don't belong. But as far as I could tell, and, and the stories I want to tell you about that were people who behaved entirely properly, who were not violent, who were not antagonistic. They were just expressing their concerns in, in the only way they knew how, because the government was ignoring their perspective and they believed was infringing their freedoms and hurting their ability to live their lives as free people. 
So when I heard that this was going on, it really made me proud of, of my Canadian friends. I don't know that anybody that I knew participated in the strike. Don't misunderstand. But it made me proud of Canada that they were willing to stand up for important things and show the world a way to do that, that, that was peaceful, respectful, but insistent that their story be heard, that their perspective be honored. So I was really proud of that. So there's a little, little background on, that I bring to this whole idea of this protest and a little bit of background on my understanding of government and what I hope you can begin to understand about government. Well, there's a gentleman who is now a retired pastor, although he's not really retired. He leads another ministry that he started, and he's had influence around the world in governments in just amazing ways. God has made that possible for him. There is, I don't think, any other explanation for it than that God has opened the doors for him to talk to, to world leaders around the, around the globe in many places. And his name is Jim Garlow. He used to pastor Skyline Wesleyan Church in San Diego, California. Perhaps you've heard of, of Pastor Garlow or, or the church, but he has had connections with so many people, and he has personal contact with so many people around the world. It's just remarkable. And he had co contacts with and connections to the people that were involved. And I don't know if he knew them beforehand. I was a little unclear on that, or if he just was able to to get in touch with them as a part of the, as the protest unfolded. But early on when this was developing, Pastor Garlow made a rather bold statement. He said, God couldn't find enough bold pastors to stand up for freedom. So he called the truckers. And that really got my attention because I hadn't really thought of it that way, but pastors do need to stand up for that, which is right. And Pastor Garlow was pointing out that, that if the pastors wouldn't stand up, God wasn't going to stand down. He was going to find somebody to stand up for him. And so maybe that would help you if you need to stand up for that, which is right in your community and, and nobody else will stand. Maybe it's time for you to find some friends and stand. And I thought that was a fascinating thing. It's, it's um, kind of embarrassing that pastors wouldn't do this. Now, a few pastors in Canada have and do, but not enough. And it wasn't enough to make the difference. And there were some pastors involved in the protest there. And while explain their story as, as Pastor Garlow explained it, so that we'll understand better what was going on there. But God, he says, couldn't find bold pastors, so he called on the truckers, and, and the truckers made me proud and probably made a lot of us proud. But the question then becomes, how do you view the event in Canada? And I don't know what you've seen on the news or what you've heard about it, but maybe you think of it as a protest or a blockade, or maybe all of that. Uh, could it be something more? Well, Pastor Garlow suggests that it might be a type of spiritual renewal, or perhaps a revival, or maybe the, the beginning of a revival. He doesn't come to a conclusion, but based on what was happening there, he was able to say, wow, something more is going on here. This isn't just about, it isn't just about a single issue or even the concept of freedom. There's something really going on here. And he talked to a number of the drivers that were involved. They were peaceful men and women, they were committed to nonviolence. They, uh, they said the atmosphere there at the, at the Capitol in, in Ottawa was family friendly, friendly, that crime was non-existent. The crime rate had dropped to zero. It wasn't a bunch of troublemakers. And of course, they were always concerned that troublemakers might arrive and they may have, I haven't heard those stories, but they may have. Uh, but these, these men and women, they responded to to what they believed was overreach on their government, and they were going to let their voice be heard. 
And so they gathered there from all over the, the, the country and, and made their voice be heard. They stood up. Now, Pastor Garlow, and we'll talk about some of the details, suggested this could be a, a spiritual renewal type of thing. But he goes on to say that not all of them, of course, are followers of Jesus. Many are. And there, there's ministry among the truckers, that we know. And, and yet, in spite of whether they were all faithful followers of Jesus, they all seemed to understand that there was some, some real right and wrong. There were still some principles that were, that are, that were and are related to Judeo-Christian values, and they were willing to stand up for that. And God blessed them for doing it. You know, sometimes people can do the right thing, even if they don't understand why they're doing it. And so whether they were standing up because they knew they were kingdom of God principles or not, isn't nearly as important as they stood up in the right way and they operated within them. And they were trying to say that before God, government wasn't created to abuse people. Government was there to protect people. And they were willing to risk their occupations, their, their trucks, their future, their safety to say, no, enough is enough and to peacefully protest and to try to get the government's attention so they would change their policies. And really, when it comes down to this idea of right and wrong, this becomes a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue that, that always goes on. It's not partisan. It's not having to do with political parties of any kind. It's not, as we describe it in the United States, left or right. It's not Republican or Democrat. It's definitely right versus wrong. And in so many conversations that I've had with people in recent days, I sort of tested that idea months ago. And in one very definitely political and partisan environment, I talked to a few people and I said, you know, what's really going on these days is not about politics, right versus left. I said it's about good versus evil. And they quickly agreed with me. And I was quite fascinated to think that people are starting to recognize this. So it's right versus wrong. It's God versus people who are anti-God, we could say. It's biblical versus people who are against biblical principles. And so when the truckers stood up, that's the basis they were standing for. They were standing up for their liberties. And, and they realized that their liberty comes from God and that nobody could take it away forever. Now, yes, government is power. And we saw that the government moved in with power and and annihilated the protest. And, and in some respects, was very heavy-handed with that. I don't think that's my concern at this point. I'm not going to try to answer that question, but I am trying to say that the government was powerful enough to stop it, but God can never be stopped. And they don't quite have the same political philosophy as we do in this country to say that our freedoms were given to us by God. They don't quite look at it that way from what I understand, but whether they look at it that way or not, it's still true. And God will always have the last word, even and in spite of whatever the government would do to intervene and to interfere with that. And so we want to we want to explore that. And I want to tell you some more about the stories of actually what happened there. Uh, Pastor Garlow, again, had some remarkable opportunities to talk to the people there and to get to know what was going on and to be able to report to us what had happened and give us the truth of that. So the protest unfolded. And the, the people stood up, and they stood up for what they believed was right. And interestingly enough, they're in Ottawa, Ontario, 
at the Parliament Building, and I've been to Ottawa a couple of times. I've seen the Parliament Building. Well, the truckers got together and they held what is commonly called a Jericho March. Now, you may remember the story of uh, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, and he really didn't fight that battle in the way we might think of, but God told them to march around the city. And you remember the story, they marched around as God said, and then on the, on the last day, on the seventh day, they marched around and the walls came tumbling down. And so they were able to then take the city at, as God had commanded them, and God had really won that victory for them. And it's interesting when you go to Jericho, I was fortunate enough to go to Jericho some years ago, and you can see some vestiges of those walls, but the walls were never rebuilt. God knocked them down and they stayed down. And that's what happened. That's the way it was. And you can still see it today. And those truckers remembered that story and they decided they would have a Jericho march. And so they went marching around the capital in Ottawa. They marched around it just like the biblical pattern, once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, the last day, that was Thursday, February 17th, they marked, was the seventh day of their march. At 1.07 Eastern time on that final day, after they had marched around seven times that day, they blasted their air horns on their trucks for seven minutes. Now, I don't know if you've heard an air horn lately, but they are loud. And I don't know if you remember, but that's what God had said to his people when they were surrounding Jericho, blow the, the trumpet, or we would say shofar today. They had, that's a specific type of instrument they had in those ancient times. But these truckers blasted their air horns for seven minutes at 107 Eastern time on that final day, a remarkable demonstration and reenactment of a biblical story. Well, there's more to all of this. Take a breath. We'll get back to that. It's an exciting and thrilling story that you may not have heard of God's involvement in a trucker's protest in Canada. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Talk soon. It's time to rethink COVID disinfection. A study by Harvard, Drexel, and Virginia Tech concluded, we don't have a single documented case of COVID transmission through surfaces. The reality is that COVID spreads mainly through the air. Shared air is the problem, not shared surfaces. The solution is the Genesis Fogger, which uses natural HOCL to disinfect both air and surfaces simultaneously. It's perfect for home or business. NIH says HOCL may well be the disinfectant of choice for coronaviruses. There's nothing more natural or more effective. Genesis fogs at the precise particle size to combat COVID and other harmful pathogens. It's what's missing from your disinfecting protocol. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com slash outloud. Our invincible American spirit drives the most audacious experiment in the history of self-government. America Out Loud celebrates the American spirit every minute of every day. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. 
Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology, designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Welcome back. We've been talking about government. We've been talking about faith. We've been talking about liberty. We've been talking about truckers in Canada. And I've been telling you a little bit of the story that probably most of us haven't heard, but that we need to hear because it really matters to us. And it really matters to that we have the right understanding of the things that happen around us. And we concluded with the, the remarkable event with, that the truckers conducted when they marched around parliament there in Ottawa, Ontario, and reenacted the Jericho March and sounded those air horns as, as though they were modern day trumpets so that the people could know that, that God had been there and that God was involved and that they were trusting God and respecting God's involvement in all of that. And so it's really quite a remarkable spiritual event. And that's what I think gets missed. And that's probably not been reported widely, but thanks to Pastor Garlow, we know about it and we can, we can enjoy the, the thrill of that story. And I think it is thrilling to see what God's people have done. And so they were blasting those air horns for seven minutes and they were praying, and there was a pastor there, Renee McIntyre, and she was praying, and they were praying that God would, would speak to the government and change their minds and hearts so that they could do the, the right thing by the people. And, and Pastor McIntyre had been through some difficulties. Her church, the Trumpet of Truth Christ Ministries in Woodstock, Ontario, had been forbidden to meet indoors by the government of Canada. And so that church had been meeting outside in the winter, sub-freezing Canadian temperatures. Now, I've been in sub-freezing Canadian temperatures. They're cold. But this church was undaunted. The government said you can't meet inside, so they met outdoors in the sub-freezing Canadian winter. They knelt in the snow to pray because they were determined to gather in the name of God and to honor God and to be the people of God no matter what. And they were not going to be intimidated by a little cold weather. The result, you might think, well, the congregation probably diminished and they got tired of that and, and people didn't show up to do it. Well, the result is now the church is two to three times the size it was when they met in the building. And so they've been standing up for that, which is right. So you see when Pastor Garlow says this, uh, this whole business could be a spiritual renewal. Yeah, it really could be. And isn't it thrilling? to hear those stories of what they've done, to stand up and to testify to what God has called them to do and to say in the midst of this very challenging time. Well, one of the times when Pastor Garlow made a phone call to, to talk to one of the um, people that was there, one of the truck drivers that was there for the protest there in Ottawa, Ontario, he called and 
he recognized by that time that that all of these people that he had been working with and talking to were there for the right reasons for for freedom for liberty that they were there because god had has had spoken to them because god was with them and there was really a, a, a spiritual atmosphere going on so one of the people that he called was harold yonker who was the co-owner of yonker trucking company of canada and he drove the first truck and the first convoy into ottawa ontario and so harold yonker was right there in the middle of all of that and so pastor garlow called him to check in to see how things were going and Mr. Yonker answered the phone, but he didn't say a word because the group was busy praising the Lord. So he held the phone up without talking to Pastor Garlow. He just held the phone up so Pastor Garlow could hear what was happening. And Pastor Garlow listened and heard those truckers standing before the parliament building there in Ottawa, Ontario, singing, a mighty fortress is our God. Can you imagine uh, Pastor Garlow said he, he had to choke back tears as he was listening to that. Here are these people who are standing up for what that which is right, standing up and praising God in the midst of a terrible, terrible, difficult time, because they knew that their political leaders had taken action to freeze their bank accounts. It was making it impossible them, for them to make a single purchase. And he, they knew, those truck drivers knew that the military could be involved to use force to arrest them or to drive them off. Uh, they knew that there was a risk to all of this, and they were still willing to stand up for that which is right, to stand up for that which is godly, and sing, a mighty fortress is our God. And, and that's quite the hymn for these kinds of times. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the words are this, a mighty fortress is our God a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe, his craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. It goes on, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabbath his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Verse 3, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure one little word shall fell him. And the final stanza, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. I don't know if you can imagine that. Snow everywhere, bitter cold, truckers in the midst of a protest that their government is threatening and, and ultimately did crush, standing up and singing for all the world, for all of heaven and earth to hear that they trusted in God, God who was their mighty fortress. It's a sobering thing to realize this is what happened to them. Now, Pastor Garlow looked a little farther into that. He's a historian, so he helps us with that. 
And he looked at the Yonker Trucking Company website and discovered that Harold's father, this man he had called on the phone, had started their trucking company, and his name was George Yonker. Well, Pastor Garlow knew his history because he studied history and as a graduate student, and he knew about Martin Luther and the hymn, and he knew that Martin Luther had been hidden from the authorities when he was standing up for truth, and they threatened to kill him, to execute him, and he said he, he wouldn't change his mind, he wouldn't rec recant, and so as a result of that, his friends, Martin Luther's friends, virtually kidnapped him. And, and I say kidnapped, now they were his friends, they were his enemies, but they took him against his will to protect him from the authorities. And by force, Martin Luther's friends took him to Wartburg, where they confined him in a castle. He was in that castle for his own good, for his own protection. And while he was there, amazingly enough, he translated the Bible into the German that the local people, that the German people could read and under, understand. It was the first time they'd ever had a Bible they could understand because Martin Luther was kidnapped and confined there, being held uh, captive, I guess, or in protective custody by his friends so he wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be harmed. Well, there's a little bit more to that story. While, while his friends held Martin Luther, he grew a long beard and became less recognizable, kind of a disguise, you might say, that would allow him to move around. And he assumed a name other than Martin Luther, because he didn't want to use his name when he was out. He assumed the name of Junker George. Now, Junker means in German, means knight in English. Now, here's the connection that Pastor Garlow found so fascinating, and I find fascinating too. The founder of the trucking company, Remember, Harold Yonker is the man that Pastor Garlow was talking to. The founder of the trucking company was George Yonker, Harold's father. Now, it's a common practice in Europe and other places in the world that the names are switched. We might we usually say first name and last name, but many times in some areas of the world, it's last name and first name. And so when this man, uh, when, when Martin Luther became Yonker George, we would have said it's George Yonker, and George Yonker is the name of the man who started the trunking company that Harold Yonker continued as George's, or as, as yeah, as George's son. So call it a coincidence or call it a connection, but I find it fascinating that, that this would be that way, and even more so because here is the Canadian trucker singing A Mighty Fortress is Our God that's connected to Martin Luther, who used the name George Yonker, and the founder of the trucking company was George Yonker, all these many, many years later. And they sang Martin Luther's song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Um, the thing most people know about Martin Luther is that he had these ideas that he wanted to, to debate and discuss and thought needed to be resolved. And so he nailed those ideas to the door of the church, and that became the way to let people know about it. The door was in Wittenberg, Germany. And, and he nailed it there to that door. Now we think, now why, why would you go nail something to a door? Well, in those days, that door was, was more like a bulletin board, what we think of as a bulletin board. And so it wasn't unusual for him to do that. And so he nailed his ideas to the, the door there in Wittenberg. And that, of course, touched off what became the Protestant Reformation. Now, the door was, was a, at the base of a large Gothic-type tower. It had a rounded dome and spires pointing to heaven. And the words above the door were 
in German, and I can't pronounce the German very well, so I'll just give you the English words above that door where Martin Luther nailed his ideas and said we need to debate these. The words above that door were this, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. So here are Canadian truckers and Martin Luther, both in their day facing an uncertain future and both choosing to sing and to honor God in the midst of all of that. I just find that, how can we say that's a coincidence? How can we not let that get our attention and say, God is up to something here? And I don't know what it is, and I'm convinced God has not finished the story, even though the government used their power to crush the protest. Well, they sang the song, and, and they then began to sing another song, one which we are very familiar with, you probably are too, Amazing Grace. And that song, of course, contains the phrase, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And they were determined that the grace of God would lead them through. And they sang that song there in front of parliament so that all of heaven and earth could hear their confidence in God, singing Amazing Grace. They finished that set of songs, I guess you could say, with the doxology. You probably rem remember that. You may sing that in church. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And they were determined to let heaven and earth know that their hope was in the Lord, and that in spite of the pressing attacks, in spite of the pressing actions of their government that were intended to destroy them and to destroy their protest, their confidence was in God, and they were going to trust in Him. In spite of all of that, when Pastor Garlow talked to Harold Yalker, he communicated that they were at peace and even joyous. They were, as, as Harold said, we're going about our day. They had a serenity that I suppose you could only say comes from God. And that's why I want us to think about some of these things in terms of them being a spiritual moment. We need to recognize that this has been going on down through history. In our day and in other days, we've seen this same sort of thing. In Eastern Europe, when the Iron Curtain came down when we saw the fall of the oppressive communist government some years ago. It was the church and the people of God that went to the streets and were praising God and declaring before heaven and earth that their confidence was in God, and the governments could not stand because God was there, and he made the difference. More recently, you may remember the Hong Kong protests, and in the midst of those protests, people were singing worship songs honoring God. And I'm so struck over and over again how these movements that are intended to liberate people from political oppression are so often energized by, motivated by people's faith in God and their conviction that they need to follow God. So you see, faith is at the heart of a lot of this, and we need to recognize that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And when we see these things going on, and when we see the admittedly uh, bad conclusion to the Canadian truckers' protest, we need to recognize that, that God was there, and God will always have the last word. You and I may not see it. We may not be able to, to witness that or be a part of it. I don't know. that We trust in God. We leave those decisions to Him. But we do know that we can have absolute confidence in his trustworthiness, that he will not leave us and he will not forsake us. And in the midst of these trying times, we need to 
remind ourselves and redouble our confidence in God. But I think all of that is important for us in light of the world events that started to unfold just this week with the invasion by the Russians of Ukraine. Now, some years ago, and it's been quite a few years ago now, I was able to visit Ukraine. I went on trips there three years in a row, met some of the people, and had some wonderful experiences there, attended church there, and uh, watched their services and, and their sincere devotion to Christ. I understand there had been a lot of spiritual impact in Ukraine over the years, and it was great for me to see that and to be a little bit of a part of that. I remember walking the streets of the city of Kiev. Now, we usually say Kiev. I, they told me it was Kiev, so I've been saying Kiev. I walked the streets of Kiev. We stayed in one of the downtown areas. I remember seeing the statue of Lenin, and that was kind of a shock to me because Lenin was no hero to us, but Lenin had been in previous times. I saw the, the Russian cars I'd only heard about, and I walked down the street, and it was such an unfamiliar environment, and, and yet it was such a, such a privilege to be there. And I walked down to Maidan, the square where they had protested and, and some years before moved their country in the direction of freedom. And in those days when we were there, people were beginning to, to adjust to that concept of freedom. It was not an easy thing because they had been under oppression for a long time. But I very much remember talking to one of the young people there and how excited they were about the opportunities that were before them because their country was free. And they were so looking forward to that. And so now we see what's going on with the Russians and we, and, and we begin to wonder what really is happening. And, and I got to do a lot of things. I visited a school as part of our tour there. I visited a, an English speaking school. So that was very helpful because many, most of the people didn't speak English, but there I, I was able to see some of the students and the classrooms observe a class in action as they taught the class in English because the students wanted to learn that. We had a meeting with some of the teachers and I remember sitting there and talking to them and, and I was really impressed because one of those teachers had actually visited our country and had visited Washington, D.C. And at that time, I hadn't been able to visit Washington. I've been there a couple of times since, but I was so interested to hear her talk about how she had been to Washington, D.C., and I was listening to them talk about their country and the freedoms they were enjoying. And um, at one point, we, we talked about what, what liberty meant. And I was asking them, and we were talking, and I said, well, you know, liberty can, consists of two elements. And I started to explain that it was freedom and responsibility, but they spoke up and they filled in those blanks real quickly because they understood that liberty was freedom and responsibility. So I have a heart for the people of Ukraine. They've been through a lot. They've been through the crisis in Chernobyl. And on one of those trips, I was able to visit Chernobyl. And I stood just yards from that now covered up power plant where the explosion took place. I saw the, the monument in the town there of Chernobyl to the men that died. They had really no idea what was going on. But but they died and, and they described them as the men that saved the world. And, and it was heroic times for them. Uh, and it was remarkable to, to be there and to realize I remembered that crisis. And now here I was seeing it. And now today I see in the news that, that the Russians have invaded from the North and they have captured that area that included that power plant there at Chernobyl. So we do live in really challenging times. 
and our hearts should go out to the people of God everywhere. And I encourage you to pray for the people of Ukraine because they are going to need God's sustenance. They had hard lives anyway. It was difficult for them to survive anyway. They did not have wealth to, to sustain them. Many of them lived on the edge of poverty and, and they just had to survive as best they could. You and I would be appalled to think we'd have to live that way, but they did. And many of them trust in God and walk with God. They knew their hope was in God helping them. And indeed today, that's still true. And as we get to the end of the program, I want to redirect our attention to, to Psalm 46. I mentioned a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, that great hymn from Martin Luther. That hymn is based on Psalm 46. And I want us to come to the end of our thinking about government and politics and citizenship. I want us to come to the end of our thinking about the need for righteous government with a reminder that even though we want all of those things, and even though we appeal to our government to do the right thing, ultimately, come what may, our trust is in God. And Psalm 46 says that so well. And I want to read from the New International Version. And I think the words are pretty familiar, some of them very familiar to us, because this is a familiar psalm. But let's let God remind us of this great reality. And let's not be afraid in these days. Let's trust in Him. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a stream, or there is a river, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Friends, you're going to hear a lot of people talk about the world events and more and more things are going to happen. But let's remember, let's remember the words that God gives us, that He, God, is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. You know, we're going to look at the world, and we're going to say there's trouble everywhere, and these days there's a lot of trouble, not literally everywhere, but many places, and there's the threat of more, and by the time you hear this, there may be even more trouble. I don't know. God knows. But he reminds us, again, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Emphasize that. Get your Bible and read Psalm 46 every day if it helps. And it might. 
Maybe you need that reminder. Therefore, we will not fear. It's time for us to put fear aside. We will not fear. The psalmist says, though the earth give way. I sometimes say, no matter if the worst happens, we don't need to be afraid because God is with us. Yes, bad things might happen. Yes, there might be circumstances none of us wants to face. I get that. You get that. But by the grace of God, he will give us strength to stand, and he will be with us, and we do not need to be afraid because he promises that over and over. Notice in verse 6, he says, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He, God, lifts his voice, the earth melts. See, all it takes for God to handle these things that go on is for him to speak up. And one day, one day, I don't know what day, but one day, God himself will make all of the wrongs right. And all of the things we thought we needed to be afraid of will pale and fall away because God is going to make the wrong things right. And we can, and we will trust him. So while it's true that government is power, it is more true if, if there is such a thing, that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And I don't know about you, but even in the midst of these difficult times and troubling times and concerning times, I don't want to be afraid. I want to trust in God because God is trustworthy. And I want to be an example, and I hope you will join me to the world around us, that there is a God in heaven, and he has not abandoned us, and he will not. And we can trust him and we will trust him. So until next week, you strengthen your confidence and you trust in God because he is faithful and we will be faithful to him. God bless you. We'll talk again next time.